All right, we are continuing our study together today in our Confession of Faith in chapter uh, 22 that deals with religious worship and the Sabbath day. Now, last time we completed together our study of paragraph 2, which dealt with the proper object of worship. And we saw that the proper object of worship is the Trinity alone, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are not to worship anything or anyone else under any kind of representation. And then, of course, that worship is always to be offered through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Now, today we come to the third paragraph and the fourth, because they constitute a unit, paragraph three and four. And they deal with the subject of the place of prayer in worship. And so... Uh, prayer plays a central role in worship because it is the means whereby we enter into the closest communion with God and it is the means whereby we directly address God. And so in that sense, prayer is the most personal aspect of worship that there is whereby we draw near to God and have the most personal dealings with him. And so nowhere are we more intimate with God than in prayer. And therefore, that prayer would be a required and an indispensable element of worship is something that we would, of course, expect. So follow along as I read paragraphs three and four, which deal with the subject of prayer and worship. Paragraph three, prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship is by God required of all men, but that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to His will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and when with others in a known tongue. Paragraph 4. Prayers to be made for things lawful and for all sorts of men living or that shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. And so paragraph four, of course, deals with the subject of prayer to the saints, which was, you know, a big issue when, uh, when the confession of faith was written and, of course, still is an issue to this very day. So what we want to deal with then this morning is the requirement for prayer in worship, which is contained in the first part of paragraph three. It says, prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship is by God required of all men. Now, when it says prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship, this phrase natural worship refers to the fact that all men everywhere without exception, purely by virtue of the light of nature, that is by virtue of conscience and creation, know that they are supposed to pray. Now, we talked about this a little bit up in paragraph one where it says the light of nature shows there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all 
is just, good, and doeth good to all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the might. And so we looked at Romans 1, and we saw that indeed a mankind understands that there's a God just because of the light of nature. Well, in the same way, man understands by the light of nature the necessity of praying, of, of, of addressing this sovereign God who rules his conscience and who rules creation. Now, we have but to look at human history uh, across every culture, at every time, in every place and situation, and everywhere people pray. It's just done as much as people breathe. And uh, for example, when you look at Jonah chapter 1, let's look there for a second, uh, we see the mariners recognizing that when they had this gigantic um, storm on the sea, that, brother, they ought to be praying. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken and the mariners were afraid. Notice and cried, every man unto his God, cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship and he lay, was fast asleep. And the shipmaster came to him and said to him, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call on thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. It was like, what are you doing? You're, you're not praying? I can't believe it. Get up and start praying. And here's a pagan, you know, that recognizes God's in control of creation, the ocean and the storm, and that uh, prayer is, is an essential and necessary element uh, in, 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 in dealing with this God. And then, of course, over verse 14, um, uh, they pray again after they try, uh, you know, after they throw Jonah in the sea. Verse 14, wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. And of course, they're praying to Jehovah now because Jonah's told them that he's the true God. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood for thou, O Lord, has done as it has pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him into the sea, etc. So the point is, we see even raw pagans recognizing uh, just in the light of nature, the need to pray. Now, of course, um, even though it is a part of natural worship, God goes on to say in his word, I require this of all men. So prayer for the Christian is not an option. It's not something we can take or leave. Um, as our confession says, God requireth it of all men. Now, what I want to do is look at a number of passages that talk about this requirement. So we'll just kind of move through these uh, as, we, as we go along. First um, Thessalonians 5.17. You ought to be able to quote that. We've memorized it. Can anybody quote it? Scott, do you know it? Okay, anybody? Aaron? Yeah, pray without ceasing, right? Um, and so what that is, it's a commandment to us to pray without cessation is the idea. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to pray 
every second of every waking moment. But what it does mean is you don't let periods of prayerlessness occur in your life. You pray constantly is the idea on a constant basis. Okay. So we have this command, pray without ceasing, which means that as Christians, we don't let days go by without prayer. We're to pray every day. And in fact, when we look at scriptural data, David says things like morning and noon and night will I pray and cry aloud to thee. Okay. And then another place he says seven times a day will I pray to thee and make my supplication. And we read about the disciples going up at the hour of prayer in Acts 3. Uh, where they had a specified time each day to pray. So certainly prayer should occur uh, once a day and obviously um, several times during the day as, as it comes to mind. And then, of course, we have the teaching of Jesus in several passages. Uh, Luke 18 and verse 1, in which Jesus gives the parable of the um, unjust judge. And in Luke 18 and verse 1, it says, And he, Jesus, spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, that is, not to give up, not to, not to quit. And then he gives the parable of the unjust judge and says, If this guy is going to answer petitions when he doesn't even want to answer them, how much more is God going to answer the petitions of his children? So uh, he, he says to us, we ought always to pray. We ought never to give up on prayer. And then, of course, there's the instruction in Matthew 7 and verse 7. Uh, really, it's, it's clearly a command. <clears throat> in Matthew 7 and verse 7, it says, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you? If his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? So he tells us to ask, he tells us to seek, and he tells us to knock. And uh, these are things that uh, we would do. Uh, on a regular basis for our, our daily needs. And then um, further instruction, James 4 and verse 2. What does he say? He says, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your lusts. So James then is reproving them for the failure to ask. And um, he's saying, you need to ask. And you need to ask in a way that is congruent with the will of God. And then Colossians 4 and verse 2. The book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. So the idea of continuing is the idea, once again, of keep on going, don't give up, don't quit, be faithful, be consistent. And then finally, Philippians 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 and verse 6. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we're to pray with reference to everything, and we're to, in that everything, give thanks, and uh, give out our requests uh, to God. Uh, Anything that would bring anxiety into our life is something that is to be a subject of our prayer. So clearly, prayer with thanksgiving, as it says here in Philippians 4 and verse 6, is um, by God required of all men. Now, one of the objections that people bring up to prayer is that, well, doesn't God already know what we need? Does God need us to inform him of our needs? Doesn't he know our needs better than we know them ourselves? And so isn't prayer really an exercise in futility? Furthermore, God's predestinated all things whatsoever comes to pass. So prayer is really um, a meaningless um, exercise. Well, there are a number of answers to those kinds of objections. But uh, Jesus anticipated them and he addressed them in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as he was teaching his disciples about the Lord's Prayer... In uh, Matthew chapter um, 6, he addresses this matter of prayer. And he says in verse 7 of Matthew 6, he says, But when you pray, and the obvious assumption is we're going to be praying, he says, Use not vain repetitions, that is empty repetitions, nothing wrong with being repetitive in your prayers as long as your heart's engaged, but if you're just going to mindlessly utter repetitive prayers, that's useless. He says, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. Now notice, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him, therefore don't bother to pray. Now, that's not what it says, does it? He says in one verse, God knows what you need before you ever ask. And in the very next verse, he says, after this manner, therefore, pray. So clearly, Jesus didn't see a problem or a contradiction between God already knowing what we need and knowing it better than we know it and the necessity and appropriateness of engaging in prayer. And the point is, is that God's knowledge of our needs does not negate the necessity and the appropriateness of us expressing those needs to him as we understand them. Now, there's another passage I want to look at, and that's in Ezekiel 36. So let's turn there for a moment. God gives wonderful promises to his people in this passage. And in fact, what we have here is the declaration of the new covenant. Notice, if you will, Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 25. Ezekiel 36, 25, God says, And we'll go through this passage rather quickly, but I just want to point out all the promises God makes. 
in all the, the declaration God makes of what God's going to do. He says, then will I sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you should dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will save you from all your uncleannesses and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. Now notice what God's doing here. He's saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. Now notice he keeps on doing it. Okay, verse 30. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that you shall receive no more reproach and famine among the heathen. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God, be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in that day that I shall have cleansed you from your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the waste shall be built and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by and they shall say, this land was desolate. This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Now notice the next verse. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this... That is all the stuff he's just got done talking about. I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. And I will increase them with men like a flock. So what God does is he says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. But I want Israel to ask me to do it for them. And so in verse 37, he says, I want you to pray that I will fulfill my purposes and my promises with reference to you. So once again, you know, the fact that God knows our requests before we ask is no negation of the necessity of prayer. And the fact that God has already predestinated, purposed, and promised that he's going to do something is also no negation to the necessity of prayer. And so the scripture is entirely unembarrassed to hold side by side the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man in the area of prayer, just as it is in the area of salvation. So don't ever think that because God already knows and because God's already decided that prayer is unimportant because in the very context of declaring those things, God says, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray about the things that you know I already know about. And I want you to pray about the things and receiving the things that I've already promised. All right, are there any questions? Calvin? I was just going to say, kind of a comment. Um, if God did everything for us, 
without us ever asking, it would be really easy for us to forget who our God was and what our responsibilities to Him were if, without even asking Him, everything that we needed was given to us and done for us. Yeah, we would start to take it for granted, wouldn't we? Yeah, and prayer is more something for us that we need to remember, you know, who God is and everything He does for us. And like you say, it keeps us keeps us humble, keeps us taking for granted. Right. Exactly. Yep. Next. And also it's it's all fine and good, you know, when something happens, it's good in our life for us to be thankful. But it's especially imperative that when we pray for something, it's given to us that we're thankful for that. Right. And it's it's not until God's brought us to a point where we really need something and we pray for it. Yeah, and you know, thankfulness is the beginning of, of uh, the worst kind of blasphemy. And, you know, strike that. Unthankfulness is the beginning of the worst kind of blasphemy and idolatry. In Romans 1, we're going to study the passage in the next hour. It says, Who, when they knew God, glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. And, and the lack of thankfulness is a lack of the willingness to recognize that um, God doesn't owe me anything and whatever he gives to me is a gift of his grace and his mercy. I couldn't have gotten it myself any other way and so therefore I owe him a debt of gratitude as my superior and as my provider. And of course that's very humbling. Uh, to to the sinful human heart. So, no, go ahead. Finish. Say, so the prayer is an expression of, of our of our need, and it's a it's an expression of humility. Because of that, we have to you know humble ourselves to pray and ask for something. And say, look, this is something I can't derive for myself. Right. And then after it's given to us, thankfulness is our expression of indebtedness that. Right. It's been given to us, and therefore, you know, we know. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the that's the two things about prayer is that it's an expression of indebtedness and it's an expression of humility, and um, that's very hum- that's very um, you know humbling to us, and that's the reason why why people cast off prayer, Dave. Requires also that I understand God's word because how can I ask Him according to His will without knowing His word? And as I read Him, read His word, and it says, "I will, I will, I will." I can, by faith, I should by faith say, "I believe, I believe, I believe," and therefore I am thankful because I. I know I can trust my Lord to carry it out, that the righteous will never go begging. I believe. Amen. I live in peace, and therefore I can be thankful, even though my man had one turn up in the cupboard. Yeah. Be thankful, because he will keep his promise. His word has told me. And therefore I stand immovable on his word. Yeah. And that gives me thankfulness. So his promises give us content. And prayer is an expression of faith in those promises. Good. Yeah. Caleb? More than anything, prayer is an act of worship. 
It really is. And explain how it is an act of worship. Uh, we are expressing our need for um, God's blessing in our lives, that we are not God, we are not self-sufficient, and we derive all of our blessings from Him. And that He is God and He is self-sufficient. Right, exactly. Nicholas? Um, not to negate from you know, asking for petitions or, or petitioning God for His blessing on our behalf. Um, and it shows the goodness of God that He would, all we have to do is ask and we receive. But I think also um, we fall short, we're sinful, and yet the goodness of God with the Spirit within us petitions on our behalf and we don't know what we should be asking for. So right. You did. We knew who you were talking about. You know, that causes me to be thankful that even when he chastens me, I can say, Lord, I will give you thanksgiving because you're chastening me because you have a desire for me to be in friendship, fellowship, and companionship with you, intimacy that no one else enjoys except his children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, we have a minute left. I want to bring out one other thing. Our, um, our confession says, prayer and thanksgiving being part of natural worship is by God required of all men. And what that means is not only are saved people required to pray, unsaved people are required to pray. Now, there are some who say, well... Um, how can the prayer of the unsaved ever be acceptable to God? Well, their duty is not a measure of their ability. They're required to pray as an act of worship, just like they're required to praise God, just like they're required to obey God. It doesn't mean they have the ability to do it, but it does mean they have the responsibility to do it. And you see this, for example, in Acts chapter 8, verses 22 to 23, when Peter is counseling Simon the sorcerer. And of course, he's the guy who offered money to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And um, Peter's counsel to him, it says in Acts 8, verse 18, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. He was a perishing man. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money, thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, that is, in salvation. Why, thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, this of thy wickedness, notice, and pray, God, that perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. 
And so even though this man was clearly unsaved and declared to be unsaved by Peter, yet Peter said to him, you need to pray. And so for us to urge an unsaved person to pray and call upon God is totally appropriate. Um, <clears throat> in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he shall abundantly pardon. And clearly here's a wicked man and God says, let him call upon the Lord. So when our confession says that it is the responsibility of all men, that includes every unsaved man. They are to pray they're to be encouraged to pray and urged to pray, of course, for salvation, because until God saves them, they're not going to be any of their other requests that are going to be heard uh, and, and received. But uh, because, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it's the prayer of faith that actually receives uh, answer from God. James says, you know, <clears throat> a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he should receive anything of the Lord. And so, uh, but nevertheless, I, I wanted to point out that our confession does require prayer, um, and rightly so, not only of just saved people, but also of all men, because, of course, it's through prayer that you become saved, and without it, one cannot be saved. Um, so clearly, not to pray, either for a saved person or an unsaved person, is sin. Prayerlessness is sin. It says in Job 15 and verse 4, Yea, thou castest off fear and restrainest prayer before God. And of course, people who don't fear God don't pray, and those who restrain prayer before God are guilty and chargeable uh, with sin. So clearly, um, not to pray is a sin. So when our confession says prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship is by God required of all men, the implication is that since it's required, if you don't do it, you're breaking one of God's commandments. And we have seen that there are a multitude of commandments that tell us pray. This is, I require this of you. And we, we see that not only through the light of conscience and creation, but also clearly in the declarations of revelation. All right, any further comments? Scott? Is he trying to say that, that prayerlessness is, is, is physical neglect and then slothfulness? Yes. I mean, you got physical sloth, yeah. spiritual Right. Yeah, it's that. Um, sometimes it's because of discouragement, which is really unbelief, you know, like Dave was saying. When God gives us promises and we pray according to those, what we're saying is we believe those promises. And of course, those promises provide the content for our prayer. Well, when we don't pray, what we're really saying is, is we don't believe the promises of God. And, and prayers work. Um, I don't find praying easy. I have to work at it. I have to discipline myself to do it. And I have to discipline myself to do it well. And what I mean by well is pray in a consistent, coherent fashion without letting my mind wander all over creation. And before I know it, I'm no longer praying. I'm thinking about painting the house. And um, so um, it's, 
it's uh, it's something where you know even the apostles talked about laboring in the word and prayer and not neglecting that labor. So, yeah, it's it's a result of sloth and laziness when we fall into prayerlessness. Sometimes it's a result of unbelief. Um, there's a variety of reasons for prayerlessness, but certainly sloth and laziness is one of them. Okay, any other comments? Well, if we're going to be consistent in prayer, I think one of the things that's important for us to do is have um, a time of prayer. And uh, people may say, oh, you know, that's legalistic and that's formalistic and all that stuff. But, you know, the apostles talked about in Acts 3 about going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And I think each of us need to have an hour of prayer in our lives, not a literal hour, but a set time. And maybe that's when you first get up, or maybe it's when you've been up a while, or maybe it's when you're driving to work, or maybe it's when ever. But try to have at least one scheduled fixed time each day in which you pray and you do nothing but pray and so that you uh, pray without ceasing, that is, without interruption. And then, of course, we all shoot up little prayers throughout the day regarding lots of things that pop into our mind at the moment, and uh, that's good, too. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the responsibility and the privilege of prayer. For Father, it is not just a duty. It is also a wonderful gift that we would be invited into the throne room of the living God there to present our cares and concerns and needs. And our Father, we ask that you would be pleased to work in us a spirit and a heart for prayer so that, Father, we long to come into your presence frequently and faithfully and fervently with the engagement of our whole heart and mind. Father, we pray that you would cause us to be more focused and more biblical in our prayers. May we lift up your promises to you. And Father, may we in the confidence of knowing that you know what we need before we ask, recognize that even our inadequate and stumbling expressions are nevertheless fully understood by you and graciously responded to. Thank you, Father, for the Spirit who makes intercession for us and for your Son, who intercedes for us. And as the Spirit and Son pray, may we not be negligent in doing our praying as well. In Jesus' name, amen.